Welcome to the Strive for More podcast. My name is Jared Hendry and I'm the founder of Strive. We're a group of young entrepreneurs that you've probably never heard of. In our weekly meetings, we share keystone habits that can change the lives of the other entrepreneurs in the group. And now I want to share those habits with you. Each week, you'll get access to what we call the teachable moment. And that focuses on improving the quality of our health, wealth, and relationships. Today, I am really fortunate to be joined by Connor Molander. Connor is a musician. He is one of the members of the Montreal band Half Moon Run. The band has been writing and recording music since 2010, and they have toured extensively in Canada as well as internationally. Half Moon Run released their third record, A Blemish in the Great Light, in November 2019, and they are currently promoting it worldwide. Connor, thank you for being here. My pleasure, Jared. Thanks for having me. My friend, you are um, exceptionally talented, and you have reached incredible heights in the music industry. You are currently touring internationally, and you just released a new album to huge fanfare. That album is called A Blemish in the Great Light. We know where you're at currently. I just want to go back to your past and explore how you got here. So can you tell me how old were you when you started playing instruments? Oh, young, five years old uh, when I started taking piano lessons. Um, and yeah, it was something I liked right away. The, I, I felt like I understood it kind of right away. The, just the, I really took to it. And then it was a struggle like all kids. My mom had to force me to practice and there would be a lot of crying involved and I wanted to quit and she didn't let me. And uh, that's why I find it funny to, I, I wonder, I wonder to what extent being forced to do it, like, you know, and it, should you force your kids to do something they don't want to do? I don't know. In my case, it seemed to work out because I definitely didn't want to do it for a period of time. But yeah, I, I was playing classical piano until I was in middle school. And then I transitioned into trying to uh, start little bands. We went to high school together. So you can remember I used to try to make form bands and play in front of the school. And we started playing in the pubs when I was in high school. Um, in those days, we did really long sets. We would get a Friday and a Saturday night at the pub, and we'd play for four hours, nine to one. And so uh, that's where I kind of learned how to be on stage, I guess. Um, and then I moved to Montreal when I was 19. That was in 2009. Um, I enrolled in McGill, and I was studying psychology there, kind of studying psychology. I didn't last long. I met the guys in the band almost right away, just two or three months after I moved there, and then... Uh, Things stopped working out at McGill basically right around that time. I dropped out after about a year. And then that was, so that was in 2010, roughly, 10 years ago. And the band, you know, we signed a record deal around that time and things went from there. Yeah. You mentioned that you had a mother that pushed you and, you know, sometimes made you cry, wanted to play music. Mm -hmm. um, I have a girlfriend that pushes me to do this podcast, mm -hmm. so I was crying just before I got in here. So <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is that I can empathize. Yeah, the women in our life make us the men we are. <laughs> They're making us better right now. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I was the piano, did you play anything else growing up, like at that age? Uh, not When I was, I, I think I was around eight or nine when... Uh, we, we went on road trips with my family and, you know, we stopped at the gas station, had those racks of CDs and so we could buy a CD and I would always ask my mom or my dad, like, like, what's, what's like the best CD? What's the best music? I was, and I, she, she pointed to one that was Elvis and I got really into Elvis when I was like seven or eight. I started styling my hair like him. I hope 
I hope those pictures all disappear. No, man. Um, but so that's, you know, like kind of guitar-based rock music became something that I thought was really cool. And so I started learning how to take what I knew from the piano and put it on the guitar when I was, you know, a little bit older than that. So I never took guitar lessons, but I started to dabble with it when I was maybe 11 or so. Would you say that you're a hound dog? To quote Albert? <laughs> a hound dog. Um, We're going to leave that. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that. <laughs> so outside of this uh, push from your mom, from your mm -hmm. parents, was there any other influence in your life that pushed you toward music? Well, I, I had good piano teachers. That definitely helped. One in particular that when I moved to Comox, I moved to Comox when I was 13 and I got a new piano teacher. And she was amazing. She, she took it from just like a lot of kids take piano lessons and, and then kind of drift off when they reach kind of high school age. And I might have been at risk of that if I hadn't had that teacher. She kind of unlocked some potential that I had and just taught me new things about music. It, when we would learn, I remember learning a Beethoven sonata and she would encourage me, I, I might have been 13 or 14, to say, you know, there would be almost like there was a story behind the, the different voices in the music, you know? And uh, so we would describe the story kind of of the, of the different characters that were kind of at play in the piece. And that was one thing that I, 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 I could already, I already had some sense that music did that, you know, that it, it, it was an abstract way of expressing characters and voices, you know, and, but then um, the, she really helped me develop that. You know, and so she was a huge influence um, in my teenage years. And how long were you with her? Uh, on and off for three years, I guess. Have you kept in contact with her at all? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have. Does, so she knows the influence that she's had on your life? Oh yeah, definitely. Wow. Definitely. Mm -hmm. It's interesting looking back, I think, and seeing those moments or those people in your life that you often don't expect mm -hmm. that can change it so drastically. And it's not planned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what, a, what an incredible influence are those teachers or those friends that mm -hmm. maybe spoke up in times of need, for mm -hmm. example. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes you think. I always thought... the. I never really expected that music would work out for me and I always thought I might be a teacher because just the, you know, the way that certain people influenced me, I thought it would be just a meaningful life to be able to do that for other people maybe, you know, like we had a high school teacher, remember Mr. Perry, he, he, he was like that for both of us, I know, I know, he, he's like that for so many people um, and uh, he, he, having him as a teacher made me think like, well, you know, money doesn't matter if you can be like that person for a bunch of young people because it doesn't take much to, to at, at that age when you're like you know 14 15 16 things can go really wrong for you or really right for you based on the influences that you have from adults in your life so yeah is there anybody else from that period that stuck out for you um the, my piano teacher and uh, mr perry i thank them both in the in the the notes of all of our records because they're they're definitely the two standouts um and and my parents and but then around that time, I was just also just developing just my own sense of myself. And, and so, yeah, m m m those two are the ones that come to mind. Interesting. I think that there's so few things that a person remembers from high school, mm -hmm. rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Most of us try and block a lot of that out. But you spoke about Mr. Perry. Mm -hmm. And one thing that he wrote on the board every mm -hmm. day was just an, an acronym. Mm -hmm. It was T-F-Y-Q-A. Mm -hmm. Think for yourself, question authority. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it gives me shivers thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was. I, I remember that right in the left-hand corner of the board. 
and the way that he would teach too, which was so different than all the other teachers, because he taught us English, and you know, we would we would just have to like we would read or just have a discussion for the entire class, and then he would give us an assignment where you have to write like one page, and then it was it was graded so differently from the way other things were graded. Like he would grade it based kind of on your potential and how well you had really thought things through. It really didn't have anything to do with the you know language. No, not necessarily, or or like kind of you know, there was no. If you do this, you'll get this grade. You know, it wasn't like uh, you know, just kind of like fill in the dots, like a lot of high school was. It really had to do with how much you thought for yourself, and that was like, yeah, that uh, it helped all of us. We all remember Mr. Perry for for that reason. Yeah, I think we all look to you, Connor, as well. Just as an outside perspective here, we all look to you as somebody that thought for yourself and always had not only interesting insights. But just, you weren't afraid. You weren't afraid to stand up for what you believed in. You weren't afraid to think differently. And I've always really admired that quality about you. Oh, thanks for saying that. Yeah, thanks. Um, you mentioned that you played on stage. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what age that was? Well, it's hard to know exactly what... Like, even when, we were, when I was little at family dinners and stuff, I was always being a ham and performing and like trying to find a piano to play for people like so and then you know they had to remove the pianos from your home yeah I mean I was They're driving like, people crazy doing this too much yeah or if you watch home videos it's like it's horrifying I'm, I'm it'd be somebody else's birthday and I'm like trying to put my face in front of the camera like so I've always wanted to perform like and it, it's with a, your Elvis haircut with my oh man really yeah, yeah it, it, it <laughs> like yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily cute you know <laughs> But no, really started performing. The, the, what happened was I, I started a little band with some, like with my brother and um, some people, some kids from high school, and we started playing some covers, trying to write a bit of our own stuff, like old rock and roll covers. And then we heard that there was an open mic at one of the pubs because um, they have like on Thursdays, you know, you can come and sing at open mic. And so we asked the people at the pub because we were 16. I think my brother was 14. And um, uh, we asked the people at the pub, like, we're underage, but can we come on? They said, well, we'll escort you on stage and off stage. You can't sit around, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you can. And so then we did, and we did pretty well. So then I think we did it maybe two or three weeks in a row. And then the um, manager of the pub offered us a full uh, gig, you know. And so that was, I guess, when I was about 16. He saw your potential. I guess so, yeah. They, they paid us 400 bucks a night, and then they, uh, we upped it to 500. So we were like, you know decent amount of pocket change for that time. I was you making know? $7 an hour at Thrifty Food. Yeah. And you're making $100 an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you then go on to Montreal. Mm -hmm. You went there for university at McGill mm -hmm. University, which is a tremendous institution. And Montreal is just a great place mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. um, how did you meet those guys? Um, well, there was a few of us. Uh, we laugh about it because there was a lot of people from Comox that went to Montreal. Like, uh, I could name some. It wouldn't be interesting for the podcast. But there's people that we both know a lot of, like, from our high school that went to, um, to Montreal. And so we were kind of hearing about each other. And a lot of us wanted to play music. And so we tried to meet up and get together. And so it, what, the, the four of us that are now in the band were hanging around each other at that time. But there's, there was a Craigslist ad involved because um, we were also posting, looking for other musicians and just to see who was around to see if anything clicked and so Devin responded to a Craigslist ad. Um, I didn't make the ad personally, it was actually someone else that's not in the band now and uh, it was looking for a drummer because uh, drummers are always kind of tricky to find. Everyone plays guitar, you know, and uh, and Devin responded saying, uh, 
well, I don't drum, but I sing, uh, but I think we should meet up anyway. And so we listened to his MySpace page because he added some solo recordings on now MySpace. We're now we're, d- yeah, well, this is 2009. Uh, and we thought like, well, damn, that guy can sing because Deb can really sing. And uh, he's incredible, yeah, he's a world-class singer. And so we all met up. There was actually five of us at that first jam. And uh, I describe it sometimes, I've, I've mentioned this in other interviews, but the thing that was um, stood out about that first meeting was that pe- we were really listening to each other. And that was like, that's, that was really something. Cause, and most of the time at jams, people try to show off and see how much they can show you, you know, like, look how I can play. I'm, yeah, I'm good, you, look, I'll show you I'm good. But we were listening and listening for space. And so I don't know if I'm like looking back with rose colored glasses, but I think at that moment, I really, some part of me thought, if this keeps going in this direction, I'll drop everything to pursue it because this is something, you know, like we're, we're listening to each other, we're clicking, you know, that chemistry is there. And uh, yeah, that's, that is exactly what happened. We kept meeting up. There was a couple personnel changes, um, but the core members stuck together and it was tough, you know, like I dropped out of school. Along the way, like uh, our relationship suffered. It was really tough. The toughest point was when we were recording the first record, Dark Eyes, because, um, you know, I had dropped out. Money was really tight. I was um, in debt from student loans and working at a pizza place. I was cleaning a coal oven. So I was working from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. And then we'd go to the studio at about 2 and record till whenever, 11 or 12 or whatever. And then we were doing that for like five months. And in the winter. And I remember thinking like, man, I don't know what's going to like, this could just flop this record. Like there was no indication that it was going to be successful. Um, so that was the scariest part of it. What kind of duration was that that you were in the process of making dark eyes? How long was that challenging period for you? Well, it started off before, if I rewind a bit there, the, the, the period that now I really like, I'm, I almost can't believe that we did it the way we did it because there was, there was at least one summer, but longer than that too, where we, we forced ourselves in, we had a little jam space and we forced ourselves to write and practice and rehearse. At that point, it was just me and Dylan and Devin. Um, for like sometimes 10 or 12 or more hours a day, um, four days a week or five days a week. And uh, we worked and worked and worked and worked. And we had no shows, we had no fans, we had no record deal. We just wrote and wrote and wrote. Um, and that made all the difference. So I guess that was part of making Dark Eyes. We were filtering through things. And then the recording process took like seven months. Um, so then it came out in March 2012. And it went pretty well. And so that was a huge relief, a huge relief. Who was the person that decided, or was it a group collective decision, that we need to sit in this room four days a week for 12 hours a day and record music? Was that a collective or was that an individual? Well, that was, it was collective. We really enjoyed it. It was, Dev, uh, honestly, Devin was really, he pushed us in those days. He was, um, he was really uh, motivated. Uh, We all were, but he, he really had a kind of a vision for how hard we should work. And we were all, if I remember it correctly, we were all really on board with it. In those days, the band, what we were doing with the band was so different from the rest of our lives that it felt so exciting that we could go into that room and discover, discover the potential of the chemistry that we had because we seemed to have a really complementary skill sets and the music that would come out, it was really exciting. You know, it was really exciting. There was like, we were discovering rhythms that I hadn't really thought of. I couldn't have thought of on my own, but I don't think any of us could have thought of on our own, but so it was something unto itself. And, uh, yeah, I'm it, it, looking back now I, it's it's I'm almost mystified by how how hard we worked in those days, you know. It, it's it's it was really something. I think that uncertainty is so admirable when 
life presents you with an opportunity, but that opportunity also faces just really stark challenges, right? Like yeah. you didn't go into Half Moon Run thinking, we're going to tour internationally. We're going to release three albums in 10 years, no. I'm sure. No. Um, and so I'm interested to know about that decision. You dropped out of university mm -hmm. after that first year. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that decision point? Was oh, it yeah. a hard thing to do? Yeah. Y yes and no. Like the... Now, now, like we're we're both like, I'm almost thirty. You haven't turned thirty yet, but we're getting there. But when you're when you're nineteen, the things that are like the most important are different than they are now. In in some ways, I think we're probably both looking for more stability now. You know, but back then, you're looking for an adventure, and uh, you're looking for the meaning in life. Is for me anyway. It was more aesthetic and social than you know financial or concrete. And so, the adventure of the band, I. I had no power to resist it, you know, it was the, so in some ways the decision wasn't that difficult because I knew I wouldn't be able to resist it. But in, in other ways it was because I was quitting university that, and it was a good university and um, my family was supportive, but it was, they were supportive in the way that's like, well, you know, we're never going to stand in the way of what you want to do. But at the same time, you could hear it in their voice and see it in their face that they were like, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always going to learn the hard way, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that this is never works, you know. Um, and uh, they were probably right to think that. Um, so, yeah, it was hard. It was a bit scary. The actual moment um, when I knew that it was going to, things were going to change was, after my first year of university, I was planning on going back to BC to do some forest firefighting to uh, make money because you, you heard you could make tons of money doing that. And so I was walking with Devin to uh, to drop some beer bottles off at the store for money, you know. Um, and uh, I was like telling him, "So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back for the summer." Uh, and he was walking a little bit behind me because we we're walking through a narrow alley, and I just felt him go silent. And 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 then he said something like, you know. Anyway, I can change your mind about that, you know, and I thought oh god I go, He's like I think if you go back for the summer, you know This thing's gonna fall apart because um, we were you know, we were just hanging on, you know, we were just hanging on and so I said oh. That's that's the moment I knew, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have to I'm not gonna be able to make the money to stay in school. I have to devote myself to this I, I, I know he's right and so yeah, and that's when you decided to stay in Montreal get the job at the pizza place. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, that was the one thing led to another and my life just became more and more all about the band. Um, that, that uncertainty that you're talking about, I, I think it's true. I think it's true of most job careers, but especially as an artist, I think you have to just plunge into the uncertain, see what you're made of. Um, and, and it's, you know, you, you ha we had kind of a plan, but the kind of part of it is that just, yeah, see what you're made of. That, see if you can come out the other side. And I think if I hadn't done that, if I had hedged my bets, like you, I would hear people say kind of, well, if you want to pursue music, that's good, but you should have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. And there's something pragmatic and true about that, but there's also something not, it's not right. It's not true. If, if you have a backup plan, people will be able to hear it in the music you make. They'll be able to hear that you're playing it safe. Um, that's the way I felt at the time, anyway. Um, I wonder if that decision would still be the same now. I don't know. I, I mean, there, there's obviously still the chance that even if you plunge your whole soul into it, that you're going to fail. You know, that's true about anything, too. But, um, yeah, for be yeah, for better or for worse, that's the way it is. Um, and that's, yeah, it was, it was scary. I'm, I'm, I feel really lucky that I somehow came out the other side. I think that 
when you're in it, it can be so difficult. But again, I think back to my outside perspective, kind of mm-hmm. like, what did I think about Connor mm-hmm. at that time? And outside opinions, who cares? Or done doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes you see people in your life that you just know are destined for big things and, and you know that they're destined for success. And you're one of those people that all throughout high school identified you as just somebody that was just different, that there was mm-hmm. something different about you that you were going on to do something significant in the world. Mm-hmm. And, that, that's that's I mean I, I appreciate it from from my perspective um, it, it you know it doesn't necessarily feel that way it, it felt it felt scary it felt like it felt like when I dropped out of school and all that like there's a really real chance that I'm just gonna fall on my face here and I'm gonna be embarrassed by it you know and I'm gonna have to start over again like when I when I dropped out in McGill by that time I had been neglecting school for the band so much that I was literally failing I was getting F's you know and so I was burning bridges you know um, so it definitely didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I, you know, had it, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> everything's coming up Connor. <laughs> no, it didn't, it felt quite the opposite at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember any voices giving you caution to say, maybe don't go through with this? And if so, did you have to fight back against those? <laughs> I know my grandfather's probably going to listen to this, but um, he was one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was one of them, and um, and we still we laugh about it now. But yeah, he he definitely there was there was a few, his voice and a few voices that said uh, you're you're better off getting your degree. That's for sure. Um, and like I said, they were they were right to say that. My youngest brother, uh, he's. 18, he's about to turn 19. He just moved to Montreal and he's pursuing music himself. And it's funny because now I'm kind of looking at him and I just feel the words forming in my mouth that I can hardly believe it. Like, watch out. You know, I don't know if you want to do this, this music <laughs> thing, you know, like I'm totally on it's the other side. Than you think. It's hard. It's hard. You, you might want to try something more concrete, you know? It's like, I'm just you an old. Get a degree. <laughs> I don't know if he should get a degree, but like. Um, We're not going to talk about TikTok. We're not going to that <laughs> I keep ranting about TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> um, turning back to Dark Eyes mm-hmm. and your first album. So everybody said, and, and if anybody's listened to it, it's obviously very creatively successful. It was commercially successful. I'm sure you have had this question 1,000 times, but what was that like for you? What, yeah. It, it, it was step by step. It wasn't all at once. So um, it's not, yeah, it's not like it was just like, you know, bang and then you had to react to like a sudden flash of 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 uh, success um but it was it was unbelievable really but especially when we started touring internationally and that was like i, I just couldn't believe it i just couldn't believe Lando it Shega, yeah going europe. to europe all yeah um, yeah yeah it was it, it was really something but those days were also it was a lot of touring and it was a lot of it took a while for the money to catch up with the response, you know, so it was still, it was, um, it was still tough living and we drank a lot. I've mentioned that before too. And so that made it into this kind of swirling kind of like vortex of, you know, traveling and weird sleep and booze and, and shows with lots of people. So the associations with, of like, you know, a crowd giving you a really great reaction with, you know, booze and decadence and all that, it made some troubling kind of dark yeah you know so it it wasn't like we were just doing victory laps just you know hooting and hollering for joy you know it was it was it was weird you know yeah it was it was weird it was weird um do you feel like you're out of that now 
I feel I've, I've really I've put a lot of work into getting out of it, um, and I don't I wouldn't say I'm I'm out of it. Think the 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 things we're facing now are a lot different different than the things we were facing back then. Um, I'm not as worried about the kind of you know vortex of booze and touring as I used to be, but now it cause now it's more about like I said, just being at that different point in your life and trying to embody what you do in the same way that you did when you were 19 or 20 when it was just like you're just so full of like piss and vinegar that you're just you you can't help but just exude the enthusiasm that's required to be someone that's happy on stage and that and that, that I still now it's more of a it's a different quest it's a different quest you know I yeah um so that's more what's on the forefront of my mind is that's more of the kind of psychological um just you know challenge that i'm facing rather than what it was in the early days yeah interesting that you say that because my perspective recently just shifted we did an interview with john barlow and he mm -hmm. trains major league baseball players mm -hmm. and the best nfl players and nba players etc mm -hmm. and he mentioned that those guys it's not about the glory of the sport anymore it's mm -hmm. a job mm -hmm. and, and it makes sense mm -hmm. my job is a job your job is a job mm -hmm. but i think that we often put you folks in the creative space on this pedestal, mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure can be hard. There's this yeah. expectation that you have to just love it for loving it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that develops over time as well. But before we started making this third record, that was what I really realized. I needed, I needed to spend a lot of time with my instrument. I practiced a lot of piano. I'd put myself on a daily regimen to just really, you know, physically and mentally and in every sense, just if I'm a musician, I gotta be a musician. You know, I can't just go through the motions. I can't just keep going around, kind of. It was almost felt like at a certain point, like it was at risk of becoming pantomime if I didn't really re-engage with what I do, you know, which is, you know, play music and get better at it and try to explore new terrain through music. Um, and so when... Well, we had a bit of time off in between the second and third record, and so it was it was pretty it was pretty strict and pretty detailed. I would wake up at the same time every day, and um, I would try to practice. I went on I, I tried a few different things out, but usually I, I would spend I was learning classical music again because I found that you would just learn new stylistic patterns um, from different classical uh, composers that would inform songwriting or my ability to collaborate with ideas that the other guys had if I had some just some new stylistic um, techniques. yeah techniques conventions to, to, to bring to the table and so I would put I would usually have four new classical pieces that I would spend I put a timer on and then you go 20 or 30 minutes on each just working on the nuts and bolts of it so you know it would take what kind of pieces I, 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 my favorite I would go Chopin Bach um, Brahms, Grieg, Beethoven. Usually, my favorites are Chopin and Bach. Chopin's Nocturnes? No, definitely. Chopin's Nocturnes and Bach's Preludes and Fugues um, are, that's what I spent the most time with. Um, the, the Nocturnes are great for everyone. They're really lyrical, you know, and they're, oh, they're just gorgeous. And, and Bach is, I don't know if this is interesting to your listeners, but he's like the person I'm the most in awe of, um, uh, in terms of someone I've, I've been in contact with. I just, it's hard with him, I think, if you just listen to his music, um, to really, it's, it's, about, it's more about playing it for some reason, I've found. It's, it's hard to access it by listening. Even for me, if I listen to a great performance of Bach, it's nice, but 
if I start playing it, I start to get deeper and deeper and I, it seems to me to be bottomless. I almost can't believe it. I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the piece and just the patterns between the notes, you can almost start to see it on the page and it just seems to fractalize and it's just limitless. It's, there's, there seems to be, yeah, it's, that's how I would describe is it, it limitless. or is it the depth of the music? It's like, it's, it's like if, you thought, if you thought about it as a shape, it, you know that there would be like a geometric shape, a three-dimensional shape where you start to see that the way that one line connects to two lines connects to three lines, the way that they're connected to each other, all of a sudden that makes patterns that um, fractalize, you know? And between the notes, between the melodies, between the different voicings, and in Bach I find the same thing. I start to think about it and think, well, I could bring out, you know, just, yeah, I could bring out this melody on the top or I could have it weave down into the bottom and then the way that that's kind of speaking to the one on the, in the bass, it, it is, it's, it's, it's limitless the way that you can interpret it, you know? So that's, yeah. I've always felt this guilt that I don't like Bach. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so maybe I need to learn how to play the instrument yeah. and then start playing it to really appreciate it. Yeah, maybe you do, maybe you do. Um, try to learn the, the first prelude in C major, it's, you could learn it. Yeah. I could not learn anything on the piano. Yes, you could, yes, ah. you could. <laughs> <laughs> I want to turn to the band and I'm obviously a layman. I, I think there's certain industries out there, um, television, movies, music, the creatives, mm -hmm. where it's difficult for people on the outside world to understand what actually happens. Mm -hmm. How do you move up? How do you advance? Mm -hmm. What kind of things actually go on? So if we can just turn to that for a minute. Mm -hmm. My question is around the band. The band obviously has needs, and so accounting or legal or whatever that is, but like, what does a record label do? Does the record label do everything for you? Do certain things fall into your mm -hmm. shoulders? That's changed since I started until now. Um, when when we first started, their streaming wasn't even a thing. For instance, you know, it was still basic. It was still based around the record label's job was still based around record sales and uh, kind of A and R promotion and that kind of thing. Um, record sales are almost nothing now. Um, it depends on the label. We had a small indie label to start with in Canada, and they, a lot of it had to, what, there, there's crossover between what exactly your manager does, what exactly your label does, what exactly, exactly your agent does, but the, the label is, you know, they're, they're in charge of promoting you and selling your, selling your records and um, making contacts and, and uh, yeah, the, I'm in closest contact with my manager. Uh, the, uh, these days, yeah, and that's the person yeah. like books all the shows. That, that's the agent who books all the shows. That, but the, but the manager will be in in charge of um, being in between us and the agent to say, well, this is what your agent think, thinks you should do in the broader context of your what we're. Your manager is your best interest at heart. Definitely, yeah, and and. Uh, that's what you have a personal relationship. With oh yeah, or? yeah. They and these days for they do everything from, like even my my day to day manager even reminds me to pay my taxes on time and <laughs> Re renew my passport and yeah. um, in, in some sense you could you have the option as the musician in this industry to not worry too much about what the label or the agent does and just kind of let your manager deal with it you know and usually we're pretty hands-on but um, yeah I get the sense that there's probably always this conflict between the creative piece and the business piece of the band because the band is there to, to make money and but also to fulfill this creative need mm -hmm. and so I wanted to get a sense of have you ever had a time when you felt like you had to sacrifice the creative piece of your music for the business side 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, all the time, all the time. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's 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 micro examples and macro examples all the time. With with our band, there's been a sense like, like, uh, well, you guys got this kind of melodic sensibility that it's it's hooky, you know, it's it's catchy, and it, maybe if it was just had the right production underneath it, it could really explode commercially, um, you know. Um, and so the, I think some people on the business end have been interested in trying to steer us in that direction to try to, you know, yeah, yeah, and just conform to whatever whatever production style would um, kind of be the most successful. So that's been a challenge. You can kind of imagine that what in my genre, roughly like guitar music, you know, like what would you have to do to be super successful? There, there's not that many there's not that many artists in my lane that are like really commercially successful these days. But if you can imagine like Imagine Dragons or something like that, that um, or the, the Avenues Coldplay went down in the past five years, that kind of production sound is roughly speaking what kind of what I would say some of the people on the business end have been steering us towards. Like it's really compressed, it's really upfront, it's a bit harsh. And honestly, I really don't like that style of music. Um, uh, and so when we get into the recording process, we, we have had definitely had pressure to like pump things up, you know, and... and uh, that's it, it's happened even since the dark eyes days when when um but it happened on this record it happened on the last record um was there a time when you had to stand your ground as a band and say yeah. oh yeah the, the, on uh, on this record we were it was almost on a daily basis and it it wasn't necessarily always adversarial like i really not ever but it, it was something that we had to always be mindful of that you know the our producer was communicating with the label and they were explicitly trying to push us into more commercial territory you know um at one point someone said uh just when you think you've gotten uh too uh too commercial sounding go further that's what they said <laughs> <laughs> and so we really had to like hunker down as a band and say like what what are we trying to achieve here and the the bottom line became well if we go down that avenue and we just say because on, on from one perspective it's like if 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 that if it did really make a, a huge impact and it was really commercially successful, um, that would be fine because uh, I would like to be successful. You know, I'd like to make money and that would be fine. And then, but if you went down that path and it didn't work out, you would just want to kill yourself. You know, like because you 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 didn't go with your instincts. You did something that you didn't want to do, and then it didn't work out. You know, and so how could you live live with yourself? So we thought we're better off standing our ground, making the record we want to make. Because then at least if it doesn't work out, we'll be able to sleep at night, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you've mentioned in the past couple of minutes here that you really focused on your instrumentation. And being at your show last night, I was absolutely blown away. And um, we were there with some friends, and they just found you guys recently, like mm -hmm. within the last two months, oh. and have listened to literally everything that you guys have put out. Mm -hmm. And at your show, I was absolutely blown away by... The progression that you guys have made over the last 10 years and seeing now the incredible quality of the show going to a, a live show for me is like i love your music and it's even better in person mm -hmm. and i really feel like there's very few bands out there that you can say that about mm -hmm. the energy that you guys bring the instrumentation the just general performance that you guys put on mm -hmm. is really really uh, valuable and so it, it's hard to see it sometimes i think for you guys it's so easy to say, like, your music's changing lives. Mm -hmm. It brings a lot of joy to people, and so I just wanted... To yeah, thanks. That makes it really feel... That feels good. I, I, I would hope that uh, 
lots of other people get to have people say things like that to them because it's a, it's a really nice feeling to, to, to hear things like that. But I'll tell you, all those instruments and all that, it's, it makes it hard to be profitable touring. You see, we've got that huge truck outside and everything. It's so much gear. There's so much stuff. Just the gas going from Calgary to Edmonton. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know, all the crew, and yeah, yeah. So you're touring right now. Can you just kind of describe, like, what is touring generally for the layperson? Like, you're on a bus. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of mm-hmm. the deal of it? Yeah, you're on a bus, so you wake up in the... You drive overnight and wake up in the city that you're going to play the show in. So you finish your show yeah. in, in Vancouver, let's say. Yeah. You get on the bus that night. Yeah. Start driving. Yeah, usually we'll get a bus call at 2 or 3 a.m., so you can choose to... That's where you have to watch out, because you can choose to go and just... Hang out at the bar until three, but um, anyway, the bus will start rolling at two or three a.m. and you'll you'll wake up um, in the next city the next day. And usually, you have you know the first couple hours of the day to yourself, and then sound check is sometime in the afternoon, and that takes an hour or an hour and a half. And so, in that period of time, that's that's where I've I've been trying to kind of maximize my life because you, like kind of between whatever nine or ten in the morning and maybe three or four in the afternoon. There's time there, you know, and and so if if you're not hungover, um, <laughs> then there's uh, you can do things like what we're doing right now or uh, exercise. Exercise definitely. Um, just try to develop a new skill because um, there's there's time on touring. It's yeah. Have you developed a new routine for touring? Like, is there a touring routine and a in Montreal routine? Yeah, well, uh, that, I tried to I tried to uh, I bring my books along with me and I try to really focus on reading difficult and. Meaningful material. And well, right now I'm actually reading a biography of Sam Cooke, which because I'm thinking about developing. The yeah, Sam Cooke, the musician, the soul singer, who's one of my favorites. Because I'm thinking about doing a little project based on his life, but but I won't get into that too much right now because it's just a little baby idea. But um, I was getting really into classical literature for a while. I was reading a lot of ancient Roman and Greek stuff, and there's been a lot of a wide uh, variety of, of reading material. But no exercise is another great one. And if it's not like right now, it's minus thirty outside, so there's not much you can do in the city. But um, if it's spring or uh, fall, then you know there's lots of amazing things you can do if you're on tour in Europe. You know, you'd spend the afternoon hanging out in Berlin or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so that's that's something. You're obviously a creative person. You've already mentioned that you have some other creative pursuits. Is there anything else that you can talk of? That, like, what else are you creative with besides music? Well, I I I, tr- I tried my hand at screenwriting for a while, and so I wrote a few scripts, and I'm still developing that skill. I'm I think it went pretty well, but I I'm, I'm gonna take another few stabs at it because I would love to be. I'd love to be involved in movies somehow, especially on the writing end. Um, I like I like taking pictures and um, but I, I really like reading and writing. I always have since I was little, and uh, so I'm always tinkering away with some project. I've always got something that I'm telling like my girlfriend about that I'm like you know that and then I'm gonna you know <laughs> you know write a book or something you know I've, I've always got some big plan you know. Can you share anything about those screenplays? Um, yeah, you know how it is with like with with uh, with baby ideas that. Um, you feel kind of like the more you talk about it, the more it's like kind of not going to happen. Um, but no, like I thought about like there, there's just little windows of, of kind of cinematic potential that I've like just always fantasized about capitalizing on. There's, there's, you know, the period in the late 1950s where um, just the economy was changing so much and like a lot of teenagers were getting cars for the first time and so they were getting freedom and then there was rock and roll music and it was all kind of this 
um, just this energetic uh, time. Yeah, exactly. It was like kind of like a little teenage revolution. And I, since I mentioned like when I was a kid, I really was into 50s music. I loved Elvis and all kinds of 50s musicians. Um, I just thought, well, I, I really have an emotional connection to that time period for some reason. And, and since I do write and perform music, I thought it'd be fun to make kind of a script that had its own musical backdrop. If I could write music that sounded like it was from the 50s, but it wasn't an instrument, like put instrumentation that sounded like it was from the 50s, but it wasn't, and write a script around that. So I did that. I wrote a script like that, and it's pretty good. And uh, But I think I need to like write it over and probably write it over again and really bring it to the next level. But I have a, maybe three or four ideas that are like in that level of development, But um, and we'll see what happens. Well, I think we would all love to, to see that. That sounds like a really mm-hmm. interesting idea. Um, and before we finish off with some personal questions mm-hmm. about you, the person, Connor, mm-hmm. um, I just want to ask you a couple of just rapid-fire questions. Mm-hmm. So you're obviously a music historian. You've got an incredible wealth of knowledge. So three albums to take to a deserted island. Oh yeah. Um, I love Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. And just off the top of my head, Kind of Blue by Miles Davis uh, is amazing. And maybe the White Album by the Beatles, yeah. Or something from Bach because it lasts for 14 hours. If so. it was going to be Bach, I would just bring a piano and play it. Because oh, like yeah. I said, it's not that fun to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Top three guitarists. Top three guitarists. Um, I would say Robert Johnson. Um, let me think. Well, I'm going to like say Mick Taylor and Keith Richards as one. Just the Rolling Stones guitar style is like, it's, it's a huge influence on me. I think they are one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, oh, I guess like B.B. King maybe. Mm-hmm. So let's say that a young musician has come to you for advice on preparing for their first gig. Mm-hmm. What would you tell that person to get them prepared? Um, I would, what would I say? <laughs> Are you sure you want to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I hope your brother isn't listening. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, there's, there's, there's enough uh, um, friction on the road to becoming a musician that if, he's, if he or any other young musician is really going to make it, they'll have to push through a lot. Maybe have to push through me too. You know, they got to, you know, if, if they have what it takes not to be discouraged, then it doesn't matter what I say, really. Yeah. I was asking that question selfishly because, like I said, I'm going to learn the piano and learn Bach. Mm-hmm. And so I'm envisioning a concert of me up on stage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. learning how to play Bach up on stage. And so oh, if yeah. you're interested, I'm going to start. Well, you know, I saw John Barlow. It was, a, it was a quote because we both went to high school with him. And it was a quote that uh, you took from the interview with him and put on your social media. That These things always are like cliches are actually true usually. You know, that's why they're cliches. But he said something like... Um, Long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. It was something like that. And that would be, you know, that, that's a great piece of advice. I would give that advice to, I think that's true for every young musician, you know. If just practice for, for a certain amount of time every day and just look into the future and, and you will see results. It won't happen tomorrow. But And this, the gig that you're going to, it might be bad. But if you do it again, maybe it'll be a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, I have known you as a Renaissance man if anybody's listening to this and they don't know you as a person, I think the sense that they would come away with is that you're measured, you're intelligent, you've got a lot of different interests, and you've always had this just really remarkable intellect that I've told you I've admired. Mm-hmm. Um, you're passionate, you're very knowledgeable about a lot of different subjects, and so 
because of that, I just want to turn to you as the person, mm -hmm. as the person, not as the member of Half Moon Run. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to know what's driving you to continue to succeed. Like you guys have reached this incredible level of success. Mm -hmm. It seems like what's pushing you further. Um, you know, I I guess I have a, the the main thing I would that comes to mind. Like I just have a sense of my own. Well, how I would feel about myself if I didn't do everything I could to, you know, I guess maximize my potential. And I, I, would feel, I would feel bad if I didn't try hard to do things that I think are meaningful. And uh, I don't know exactly what that means. Like, since I've been doing this Half Moon Run thing for 10 years, I hope that we make music together for, for many years to come. But I think that I'll have to transition into other things in a meaningful way at some point. And I don't know what that's going to be, but I just know that I have to really prepare, pre prepare myself and give, give everything I have to it because if I don't, I know, I know that person that, you know, we, when we took some time off, there was a, I, I ended up in a month or two where I was ruminating a lot, you know, and I was spending a lot of time in my apartment and just um, at, at the end of those two months, I just thought like, okay, if, if this band ever slowed down for some reason and I ended up in that place again where I was just like sitting around and thinking a lot and just you know, wasn't as active or, or whatever, you know, I, I, I know, I know what that person turns into, you know, it's not, a, it's an ugly place. It's not a place I want to go. So I guess a fear of that, you know, is, is what drives me. Is, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> I really resonate with the rumination piece. Mm -hmm. I have had for many years, um, these things in my mind that have held me back, whether that's like a fear of putting myself out there mm -hmm. or, fear of this or fear of that mm -hmm. and rumination is I've found to be it's so your worst enemy cancerous. yeah definitely it's cancerous that's a really good way to put it you gotta you gotta just take a step forward and get out of that because anything that you've done to get over that meditation uh, um meditation wasn't I found it wasn't the best antidote to rumination because what I think what 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 it was better for me was just does almost doesn't matter what you do just do something you know just and make it play basketball. play or play basketball take a risk start it like you know just commit to something you know and so because that'll turn into something on its own just get your feet moving and and just stop thinking you know like if yeah you're not gonna think your way out of a of a, um, a rumination pit you know? yeah <laughs> you're not it's just you know crawl your way out with your brain somehow it just it won't happen just get up and get out of the house and just do something. That's what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. One really powerful thing that um, was actually recommended to me by a mutual friend, Tate Hackard, who mm -hmm. founded a successful company, Zazu. Mm -hmm. He did an exercise where he looked back through his calendar, like most of us now mm -hmm. schedule everything in our Google calendar or mm -hmm. whatever. And so what he did at the end of the, the year was that he reflected back on his year by going through week by week the things in his calendar that he enjoyed doing. Yeah. And he took the positives and he took the negatives. Mm -hmm. And then all he did was he took the top 20% of the positives mm -hmm. and then just scheduled those things in January. So mm -hmm. maybe that's going to see Half Moon Run in concert. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's going to play squash with your buddy. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's going to the gym or meditating. Whatever mm -hmm. that is for you, mm -hmm. schedule that in. Because yeah. you know that it's worked in the past. Yeah. I found that to be really I think that's, that's an excellent strategy. That sounds, that sounds excellent. Um, yeah, and it... it I, I had a similar a similar strategy. It was something like when you're when you're in a that kind of pit of rumination or whatever, 
I've made kind of a list of things that I know if I just do them that I'm spending my time well, you know? And it was practicing the piano, it was exercising, it was just spending time with people that you really care about and just being present with them, you know, and saying things that, you know, you believe that you have, maybe haven't said around them in a while or whatever. Like, those are the kind of things that, you, if you don't know what to do, just do one of those things. If you, so if you can make a list of thing, just things that you know, no matter, no matter what, I'm, if I'm doing those things, I'm spending my time well. That was helpful. Life is sometimes easier than we make it out to be. It's like look to the past and see what worked and just do that now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. when you're in it, it's, it's a totally different story. And I don't mean yeah. that. I'm obviously not a registered psychologist. I'm not offering advice. It's just yeah. things colloquially that have worked for me. For sure, yeah. Um, I want to get a sense of what you do differently than everybody else that allows you to succeed. Jason. That's yeah. a hard question. Anything that you can identify, you think? Well, it, uh, to succeed... In music, you don't really necessarily have that much control over whether or not you succeed. I mean, you do. You can maximize your chances of succeeding, but there's so much. There's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of just kind of cultural synchronicity. You know, if if what you're doing is right for what people want at the time. And so, I, when I knew we were going to do this podcast, and I knew that your subject is you know success, especially entrepreneurial success and patterns of successful people. I was a little bit nervous because I thought, I don't really know if I can speak with authority on that because so much of what I've done that seems to have worked, it wouldn't necessarily work if I took exactly what that was and did it again, you know, because it was based on a time and place that we were at. Um, I mean, definitely the, the, the part of, about in the early days when we really just worked hard single-mindedly, like what, what I think would have been a bad strategy it w would have been, okay, we, we made a band, we seem to have some potential, so let's promote ourselves like do, what if promotion comes before um the development of the craft you know then you're i don't it, you might be a flash in the pan at best but you won't have lasting success so it's interesting that you are now focusing on that once again like mm -hmm. what i heard from transitioning from your second album to your third album is that you really focused on instrumentation you yeah. focused on the craft yeah yeah well, you don't want to get caught like in a in in front of people with your pants down basically just with nothing to offer you know with because um, that's that's what I, would, I feel would happen if, if you just if we just kept going you, you, you got to feel the tank at some point you know people have nightmares about that being caught on stage with their pants down yeah I do for sure yeah. I know I do yeah <laughs> yeah but I think that's a great lesson the lesson is that focus on your product yeah um, and that's a transferable lesson to everybody yeah yeah for sure and it definitely speaks to my own experience as well as I'm trying to build a business for myself is that it's easy to get caught up on social media or TikTok or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a soul suck and it is the worst. Mm -hmm. But is it really helping you sell your product or mm -hmm. provide value to people? And generally mm -hmm. it's not. Generally it's actually yeah. the exercise of your product, your business, yeah. your music. I, I, or at least when you get to that place when it comes time to promote, you have to feel like if you really ask yourself, are you standing on a foundation of like a really solid product? Is it, is it something that you know you've put everything into? And uh, if, that, if you had to talk about it, you could talk... You could talk about it from every angle. You could talk about what you've done, why you've done it, everything, you know? Because then at least you're ready to promote. But if you can, you know... You it, don't even believe in the product in the first place. Yeah, you, you just know that, well, you know, I th if, if I can just market to enough people, then, then I'll be successful. I mean, obviously that's not going to work. Mm. Any specific routines that allow you to do your day-to-day, -to, -day, to get more done, etc.? Well, there's, there's things that help, you know, that... Um, I mean, just really simple things that if you can, if you can regulate your diet and your sleep and your booze and all that, like just 
things that everybody knows, then you create positive cycles and it, it helps, you know, like, and so I have varying degrees of success with that. No real big secrets though, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't eat like a dummy. Don't eat like a dummy. Don't drink too much, you know, exercise if, as much as is reasonable. And, you know, again, it's just things everybody knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not so easy to do when you're on tour. Or no. Yeah. <laughs> Any quotes, like I know you mentioned that one from John Barlow. Any mm -hmm. quotes that resonate with you right now? Um... Yeah, well, I think there's there's different ones that 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 go throughout my head from time to time. What would I say? I I thought about one that comes back sometimes. I don't know. Like someone who has a a, a why can endure anyhow. You know, um, sometimes you can get bogged down with logistical kind of um, uh, you know imp impediments or whatever. And 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 if you have a reason, then you, so that that's again at this point. It sounds like you're you, that you have similar thoughts on this. That when it comes to at this point in your life, if you're maybe considering a pivot in your direction, your career, whatever, um, you're 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 asking yourself at that point, you want what what do I want? What's meaningful? You know, because you know you want you're looking for that why. What's your so, why? That's the thing. It's a, it, that's really di I couldn't say exactly. Like I was saying before, a lot a lot of it is based on just kind of carnal feelings of fear or. Um, Pushing toward the fear? Pushing away from the fear. Um, you know, I, I, I know that, yeah, I know that there's, the, maybe the why develops as you go. I don't know. Like, pushing away from the fear because I know that there's a version of me that I want to avoid, basically, you know? And so then there's little behavioral kind of uh, uh, tricks that almost that you can, or just not tricks, just things that you can implement to along the way to get towards something more meaningful. I, it's something like there's there's something developing that, in, that I'm, but I, it's hard. I don't know if I could, like, cohesively articulate it but I feel like there's something about living meaningfully that is the, just the infrastructure of, of of the way we live and society that we leave, live in it's not necessarily implicitly built in you know you have to wh like what is it living meaningfully it, it's yeah, there's something about the, about the relationships that you have with people. Like I've I've heard this thing about how. I read Steven Pinker's book called uh, uh, Enlightenment Now, and it, there's all these graphs about how just every metric of human well-being is just exponentially skyrocketing, right? And so, if you add all that up, it's kind of like wow, like okay, there's this this basically general metric of well-being that's like how can you deny that your life is better now than it's ever been before? And in the most fundamental way, that's really true. We're not suffering as much, you know. Um, babies are living longer. Babies are healthier. People are living longer. Exactly. That's got to be good, right? But what's the missing piece? What's there's feels like there's a missing graph, you know? And it's and it's something about, you know, if if all if you got all those things given to you, you know, you were able to, you had money, and you were you you were healthy, and, and everything, you know, and in, in your life and in everybody's life around you you know that there's a missing piece, you know? It's that little missing meaning thing, you know? Is it struggle? Overcoming struggle. It's something like that. It's, 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 it's something like overcoming struggle. It's something like, something like the journey or whatever, you know? You know, something like taking on your responsibilities and, 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 you know, shouldering them the best way that you can. And so inside of that, inside of that, there's something. Inside of that, there's something. You have to, I want to, try to carefully choose my next steps from where I'm at now 
incorporating whatever that is in as much as possible because yeah there's it's it, I, there's there there's things that will if if you go with if you just go with a kind of status quo or whatever i think that you get funneled into a life where that's kind of naturally excluded somehow so it's it's elusive i don't like i don't exactly know what i'm trying to say but or your you know. choices are limited in some way so in yeah. order to, to ensure that you have as many choices as possible yeah you kind of have to make your own way i think yeah and I think all of us humans are makers. Yeah. You're making music, and through that process of making, you're also then learning your why, your yeah. how, yeah. you're overcoming struggle, yeah. and, and through that, you're creating meaning for your own life. And I, yeah. I know in my life that making things is the only way for me to to feel like I am contributing or or that I've got value in my life. Absolutely. And maybe all that, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And it's also the other really important part seems to be, you know, maybe having a family and fostering good relationships. Those two seem to be kind of the two things, you know, I fully agree yeah. with you. Yeah. And that's something really in the last year that I've been focusing on last year, I came up with like a theme, like what's your theme for the year? My theme was relationships. Like I wanted yeah. to focus on relationships. Yeah. And one thing I'm so, so grateful as a side benefit of this podcast is that I get to reconnect with old friends like you and, yeah. um, and continue to maintain those and yeah. that has really been really, really powerful. No doubt. Likewise. Yeah. After 10 years, we graduated, what, ten, like 11 years ago, I guess now. And it's really interesting to see the people that you keep on, uh, keep on popping up, you know, and, and in, in some ways, you know, it's people that are looking for the similar things that, you know, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us what's the most important thing that you've learned in the last year? Oh, yeah. The most important thing I've learned in the last year. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I've like learned anything, but there's things that I'm keep trying to learn. It, I mean, on, in a, on a really like concrete level, um, it's like if there's something like you are what you do on a daily basis. You know, I just keep telling myself that. Like, but especially on tour, like I said, there's a lot of like, and just in my life since I don't have to go to a, a job that's like nine to five. Um, there's kind of a lot of like holes of time and the way that you, the way that I use them, it seems like innocuous on a day-to-day -day level if you just like an hour goes by or whatever. But if that hour goes by or even 15 minutes goes by where you have a routine that you do every day for 15 minutes, like it really adds up over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, since I'm not forced to do anything necessarily with my time, I'm really in charge of it. It's like a blessing and a curse because um, you have There's to- potential just for wasted space. Yeah, exactly. Wait, like, and it sneaks past, you know, it sneaks past. You got like, so I have to respect my time. I want to finish off with one last question that you're going to have to be vulnerable in order to answer. And um, I know vulnerability isn't easy, but at the end of our Strive meetings, what we do is that uh, one guy always reflects on his blind spot, something that he thinks is holding him back from even higher levels of success. And then everybody else around the table will um, either agree with it or provide additional feedback to say, yeah, I agree with that, but I actually think that there is something additional that's holding you back. This is your blind spot. And so, the question to you is, what do you think is holding you back from even higher levels of success right now? Yeah, I'd be curious to know your answer to that question too, by the way. But um, cause I, I think about this all the time, and I th it's something like when even s since I was a teenager. Actually, my piano teacher that we talked about earlier, she she pointed this tendency out in me for the first time when I was maybe fourteen or so. That whenever I accomplish something, um, the what tends to follow is a moment of complacency. Um, and where you know you, you get over some hump and then you just think, oh, that's you know you, I just relax for a minute, you know, and that's 
it's a, it's a, it feels like a waste of, of uh, an opportunity because you know if you stay focused then you can you can build on what you've just done you're in you're in a you're in a <coughs> a place where you you can you can generate momentum you know and so yeah that's i am how, I'm have, you over, to, yeah, how have you overcome that just how have you worked on it I, so far just trying to be aware of it I, I, and, and i've i've been able lately to identify exactly how it feels when how does that feel it feels like um it's kind of like this similar voice that is telling you that, you know, you whatever, you don't have to get up in the morning, whatever, you know, it's, 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 it, I feel you accomplish something and it's something like a rush of a positive brain chemical that's just like, you're ready to then just like indulge in the feeling of having accomplished something. And since sometimes it'll be something that is, is pretty cool that you just accomplished, it would be perfectly reasonable to then just, you know, enjoy that moment for a minute. But in a way that the feeling of enjoying the moment of having accomplished something, it's similar in an inverse way to the feeling of guilt for having failed at something. And both of those things can kind of be dispensed with. That's where a mindful approach would be good, you know, where you're not necessarily embodying either one of those feelings, where you're not inhi inhabited by guilt or shame or kind of like pride and self-praise. You know, you can, if you could stay one step removed from that, then it, that's how you would stay focused. That's where actually I take... I take uh, inspiration from athletes because really elite athletes seem to have a ability to stay the best of them. Kawhi to, to, Leonard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Michael Jordan, you know, um, like Muhammad Ali. They, they're single-mindedly um, focused on what they're going towards and, you know, their, their micro, little micro successes and micro failures along the way just don't, uh, don't affect them. Um, that's, that's what I would like to work towards because it's, it's a shame to indulge in yourself after you've just achieved something. It's, it's, it's not good. I think it's so interesting to hear that humility and introspection from somebody with your level of international recognition, let's just say, as opposed to fame. Mm. Um, and so I really admire that. Can you answer the question that, that you just asked me? Oh, good question, man. Yeah. I didn't know we were turning this around. Oh, we are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vulnerability from me too? Yeah. <laughs> Double-edged sword. I think what's holding me back right now is my own fears and inabilities. The biggest thing that I've learned this year is how, it's a cliche, but how much you can change your mind and how much you can change the patterns that you've developed over the years. And so like a fear of putting myself out there is a huge fear for me. And the most impactful thing that I've learned in the last year that feeds into this is something called the alter ego effect. Mm -hmm. And athletes use it a lot, musicians might, creative people tend to use it, where they have a fear of some kind, like a fear for you being on stage, let's say, mm -hmm. and you come up with an alter ego, like it's somebody that's gonna mm -hmm. be really, really good at being on stage, mm -hmm. so let's say that's, who's the per first person that comes to mind? Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I like, it's, it's, like, it's like developing a sub-personality that you can kind of outsource your fears to or something, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. somebody that you can just shift your thinking yeah. so that you turn into that person in some ways. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of fighting the weaker version of yourself or that person that really has that fear. Yeah. And I've noticed really incredible benefits in my own life mm -hmm. and just a lot of joy that then comes out of defeating things that you thought were going to rule your life forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so right now, I am not an expert in that, and I'm still really working hard at putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. um, selling a product is very difficult, mm -hmm. but it's kind of what you have to do. Mm -hmm. 
and so learning how to to overcome all of those things is the, the journey that I'm on, and, mm -hmm. and I've got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that's great, though. I think it, if you're able to take people on that journey, then you'll have success with something like this. You know, it's, it, that's similar to music too, in a way. That's why. Well, I mean, I guess yeah, it's similar that just plant in the early days when I was describing, you know, just throwing yourself off the deep end, quitting school and whatever. In some ways, that's where you just you know you. You're, you're, you're engaging in kind of like your own personal struggle you're, and then trying to communicate with other people to just show them how you're doing. And in, in, in my case, I guess that was expressed abstractly through music. But I think that's part of what made the first record, you know, have some potency was that, it was you know, real. I really did jump off the edge. You know? <laughs> and so and, and we all did all three. Of, and so that being the case, that if we were able to just, you know, focus and keep the kind of nuts and bolts of it in, in place so that we were, you know, technically proficient and marketing ourselves properly, you know, the emotional uh, content was there because it was real. We were afraid. We were really trying to do Treading it. You know? water. Yeah, definitely. And, and like, you know, it, it could have gone bad. And so that's like what gives it kind of the story, the human story, you know? And so hopefully the same, I think the same will happen for you if you're just, you know, keep doing what you're doing, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Connor. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I have really, enjoy reconnecting with you the person and likewise um, I think that those of us that watch and listen can kind of follow along on your journey like you've said that I've seen you develop through as a listener and, and a fan mm -hmm. and um, I know that today you've offered a lot of value to the listeners out there and um, you're somebody that's really constantly striving for more in this world and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today I am just purely grateful my pleasure man yeah my pleasure if you want to learn more about Connor and the band, you can find Half Moon Run on Instagram at Half Moon Run or on their website at halfmoonrun.com. You can also find Connor personally on Instagram at Melander Connor or on Twitter at Connor Melander. Connor, thank you. Thanks, man. If you know someone that started a business and you think is someone that is a really high performer, then I would love to have the chance to sit down and interview them as well. If you know someone like that, reach out to us on Instagram at Strive Accelerator or email us at striveyyc at gmail.com. And if you like the content from the podcast, then please subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Strive Accelerator. I hope you enjoyed this episode and hopefully you got some lessons from this that you can apply to your own health, wealth, or relationships. I created this podcast to help myself learn from those that came before me. And now I want to pass these lessons on to you to hopefully help you on your journey. Please know that I've got your back and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this content, then please subscribe and continue listening for our weekly episodes.